Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Merry Christmas Eve. Oh, hello, Stevie. Merry Christmas Eve. We are looking super festive in our pajamas. Yes, it's, it's like it's Christmas morning and we've rushed downstairs to open up the presents. And the presents are an episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> and we're going to examine them from top to bottom. Huzzah. Yeah. Yes. Huzzah. Next year, we are getting Star Trek ornaments for our trees. I've oh, decided. well, great. I'll have to buy a tree. You have a tree. There's one right behind you. This is my dad's house. It's not a real tree. The tree is fake. You plug it in. Uh, so is ours. It's more sustainable. Well, I guess, yeah. I may not be here where, where I am next Christmas, but you know what? I'm sure I can find a sprig of evergreen and hang a, an ornament from it, you know? So it'll be great. All right. Well, listen, and happy Christmas Eve slash uh, two days after Christmas to everyone who is uh, listening to this. Uh, you are welcome. Welcome into the program. This is uh, uh, Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. And uh, we are talking today about episode six of season four of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, today's episode star date is uh, star date one four six one two two four point. One. Uh, it is early in the morning uh, as we this record is. this because the, the holidays are so imminent. Stevie's been up for hours and I have been up for minutes. <laughs> and uh, we're going to try to do this thing. Before we get into that, uh, we'll just do our usual preamble at the top of the show. Uh, what have we got to say? Uh, you know, uh, people check us out, review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'll start dancing and uh, please Stevie, do. Stevie, you do your thing. Are you dancing or flapping? I'm not really I mean, sure. It looks like you're trying to take off. It's early in the morning. This is this is very sure. calisthenic for up. me. This is this is waking Woo. up for you. Um, yeah. Please do rate and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to us on. And if, of course, you would like to join us in our continuing mission on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash set phasers, you can join us there for the live stream videos of our podcast, Aki's Dancing, obviously, early access to the podcast's shout outs on the podcast's and and the most fun thing, this is my funnest thing of all, is the, I'm going to call them watch parties, previously done on Netflix, but now we'll have to do them elsewhere, where we all get together and watch episodes of Star Trek together with commentary and so on. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yes, uh, I did some very, I think, impressive chiaroscuro jazz hand work just then, so... <laughs> Uh, if you become a Patreon member, you you could you too can watch me dance the beginning and the end of every episode, <laughs> dancing about Star Trek. Uh, well, I guess we it's nothing else to do it but to do it, uh, so we might as well run it down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down? 
Yes, well, uh, episode six of season four is entitled Stormy Weather. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder, wonder why. why. Uh, actually, well, we could save this for the chat, but when we were texting last night and you were like, you need a physicist to explain all the math in this this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was thinking it's nice that after the super duper data jump they do on us, they're then like, here's like 25 seconds of just singing. <laughs> just... Enjoy a little song. <laughs> let your brain cool off for a second. Uh, uh-huh. Okay, so when we begin this episode, Michael has been uh, inspired by the Lologi orb from the last episode and is making her own sort of virtual three-dimensional family tree. Uh, it book is uh, still sort of in his uh, uh, kind of a weird... He's like toward, doing this like... He's going through a full dabda of grief. Dabda. Good word. Dabda. Thank you. I can't remember what they all stand for, but I know the last one's acceptance. All right. What do you mean what they all stand for? DABDA of grief. It's a it's an acronym. Well, we are Googling that. Oh, you got to Google it. All right. You can Google that. Google that. My computer is somewhat slow today. This might take some time. I've got it. Yes. The acronym stands for denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Got it. Thank you. Ah, DABDA. These Makes are, sense. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. um, the five stages of grief. Uh, so I think he's in sort of a uh, bargaining, uh, anger, bargain. Well, let's get into it. Let's get what, into what is he truly into? Uh, okay. So um, it would have been Book's father's birthday that day. Apparently he and his father did not get along. So it's not like he would have... Uh, uh, made a big deal of it, but it's something that he's thinking about as Quajon is gone. Um, Disco has been ordered by the Admiral to head into the most recent subspace rift left by the DMA. Um, Book thinks that what they need to do is jump out of Federation space because whoever made this, remember last episode we learned, or maybe the episode before, no, it was last episode, that this is not a natural occurrence. It was made by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's thinking it's made by some enemy and they need to get outside of Federation space because it's someone they don't know and never have met. And he needs to speak to the couriers and see if it's the chain or something like that. Michael's trying to calm him down and says, listen, we're going to do this Federation mission because if we go into that rift and we find some information, it can help us figure out what the DMA is even better. And that will help us locate who made it. And that is the process we want to take. The book kind of lets her have it, but is not super happy about it. Burnham and uh, Saru uh, are concerned about Zora's new uh, organic evolutions that we learned about in the last episode. The new Zora is able to feel mm-hmm. uh, emotions and think. It's a new a new feeling. It has nothing to do with her diagnostics, apparently. But they're headed to this rift. The crew is super excited to get to work. Everyone's like, I can't wait. Let's get in there and let's do this thing. Adira is filling in for Linus, who, oh, poor Linus. Linus is ironically the Charlie Brown of the Discovery crew. He's come down with something, and so he's got to lay under a heat lamp. Um, So Adira is taking over his position on the bridge as they go into this. And uh, Gray, there's something going on with Gray, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. So Disco flies into the rift. They have to do it on impulse because warp's not going to work, and... They're not sure it's safe to jump in using the spore drive. They get in there. No info, no data, nothing to see. It's silence. It's a big, silent void. They launch one of their dots out as a probe. It gets about 6,000 meters away from the ship and then starts to uh, uh, painfully disintegrate. Sounds like the dot is screaming. It sounded really sad. It was a sad little dot dying. 
but they don't know what it is. It's some sort of invisible barrier. Adira proposes that perhaps something has happened to subspace within the rift, making it toxic. And they realize that there is the edge of whatever destroyed the dot is actually slowly collapsing in on Discovery. And uh, they shoot out a photon flare to see in the same direction to see how much quicker it's destroyed. And they flare lasts slightly shorter. So uh, they only have 33 minutes. Uh, And so they're trying to get some information. Book goes to help Stamets. Some impressive math from Detmer. Detmer doesn't mess around? Come on. No. that's Good right. Uh, she was like, okay, photon traveling at the speed of light, dot, same trajectory. Bloop, 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 bloop. Gray, meanwhile, asks Zora what's happening because Gray is, everyone's at, you know, sort of stations and uh, Gray is wondering what's happening. And Zora it explains that, uh, see, now I had some trouble with the computer's pronouns. I went with it or they. But I'm just not totally sure. So as I'm writing my notes... You're not sure it's a she? I mean, the voices sounds like a a female. But it is a, and hundreds of thousands of sphere, years of sphere data. Um, I think uh, it's probably emulating the, 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 I would guess, the voices it has heard in command of the Discovery, which tends to be Michael and Giorgio and... Uh, you know, a lot of people in the command staff are, are women, so I, I I don't know. I'm I'm purely speculating as to why Zora calls itself Zora, but uh, it is the ship, you know. Uh, and I don't know if I want to call Discovery she like some weird sea captain of old. Ah, uh, the Discovery. <laughs> She's been through a lot, ain't she, Captain? Uh, so anyway, I'll be bouncing around on those pronouns for Zora, but. Uh, Maybe we'll get some clarity on that in later episodes. Anyway, Xora is saying that it can't sense anything outside of the ship and is being therefore overwhelmed by the data inside of the ship, sort of having like a kind of like a little panic attack, basically. And so Gray offers to play a game that they play on the Trill Planet uh, in order to help Zora clear its head. Uh, meanwhile, Stamets is working on trying to give the shields more power. They're drawing power from all the systems that they can because shields are down 25% because of whatever is out there is sort of trying to eat uh, the ship. Michael decides, you know what, this is too dangerous. Let's abort mission. Let's get out of here. Reverse course. They're unable to plot a course out because they have no information. Zor cannot triangulate by the way they came in. They decide, forget it, we're going to do something dangerous then. Let's do something reckless and have Stamets jump us out. But Stamets is worried about jumping out and needing to to watch the data because as they jump out, maybe they'll get a lot of data. So Book is going to do is going to pilot the spore drive while Stamets examines the data from outside. They try to do a jump. There's some sort of crazy surge. It goes right through Book. He cries out. The mycelial network is all screwed up and dysfunctioning. Stamets calls it off. Disco is stuck in this crazy void. When Book comes to, he hallucinates seeing his stern and very unfriendly father. We learn Book's real name, which is an exciting revelation in this episode, Tarex. Tarex. I put on the uh, closed captioning to see how it's spelled. Any guesses on that? Nope. Great, because there's no way you would have gotten it. It's T-A-R-E-C-K-X. Tarex. Oh, I would have put an S. Yeah, you would Tarex. think that, right? Tarex or T-A-R-E-X or something. Tarex. Or, you know, if, if it was some sort of Polish derivative, there could have been a Z in there. 
could have been a Z, like a ZJ kind of deal, uh, yep. like on J, one of my favorite uh, fantasy writers. Okay, we don't have to get into that. So, uh, anyway, we learned Book's real name is Tarex, and his father is appearing to him in the mycelial cube, really looks real, scolds him for not hunting down the enemy that, that killed their people and destroyed their planet, and for sitting on another person's ship and taking orders from them. Uh, so, uh, when he comes out, Stamus is like, I didn't see that. So we're going to take you to sick bay. Book says he's fine. Stamus is like, we'll let Hugh decide that they get to sick bay. Uh, it's actually, uh, Hugh and Pollard, Dr. Pollard are there. And they're saying that book has normal readings, but the hallucination is not like the one that he saw of his nephew before. Apparently, uh, Quajanians, Quijani. The Quijani people uh, are have some in some very like intense uh, dream neurons in their head that allow them to have like very spectacular visions. And those are firing at like 150 percent because of whatever went through book. And so the hallucinations are going to seem extremely, extremely real. He's like half wake dreaming, essentially. Uh, and Hugh thinks this is a physiological response to the surge. Uh, and it'll be a while before it comes back down. They also discover that there are holes, this is how I interpret it, in the mycelial network because of how it is inside the rift, but the energy that passed through Book's brain left a trace in those neurons, and it could be a clue about the void. Uh, so they're going to do some research on that. Meanwhile, Zora and Gray are, are playing their game. Uh, Zora is finding that the game helps it relax and, and focus, and be less overwhelmed by internal data and the feeling of, of uh, uh, sort of uh, discombobulation and not, and not having any external data. And then is able to detect something on the hull around deck 17. And Gray tells uh, Zora they've got to tell the captain. Uh, Dr. Pollard is sent to, cert to, to check it out. It turns out to be a hull breach. There's a young ensign by the name of Ensign Cortez trying to fix it. Pollard tries to get him out of there. He kind of lingers a little bit long. The uh, hull does fully breach. A An emergency energy bulkhead has to go down. And uh, poor Ensign Cortez is caught on the wrong side of it and sucked out into void space. Uh, and we assume he's dead. I mean, he, he died for all intents and purposes. Unless, of course, some kind of weird weirdo stuff is happening. Red shirt moment. Yeah. Total red shirt moment. Uh, poor Cortez. Anyway, uh, more decks are having thinning hull problems. And now there's 20 minutes until the shields fail, despite all the power that they've gotten. This gives Gray an idea. Gray uh, runs up to the bridge and tells the captain that Zora is having an emotional response. They played the game that helped it settle in focus. Uh, Zora shows itself to uh, the crew. It's like a big blue interface with like the wave voice wave signs or whatever. Uh, Saru posits that, aha, greater focus leads to greater awareness. And so they, uh, Saru also comes with this idea that if they can make a signal that can, that can penetrate the void and get to the other side of it, uh, and if Zora can track that with greater awareness, then they can plot a course out. And Zora feels unsure that it can do that. So Michael asks to see Zora and Gray in her ready room. <laughs> Book, meanwhile, is uh, still seeing his father down in engineering, I think. Um, his father's encouraging him that he should have gone to see couriers and find out what's going on here. And he shouldn't be taking orders. And 
tells him the hunter, there's a Quajan Hunter's Creed. Quajan Hunters didn't know that that was a thing. Blood for blood, life for life. Very Klingon. And derides his love for Michael, which Book, uh, he also says anger is what drives Book as it did himself. So Book had an angry dad and his angry dad thinks that Book is also, is just like him. Book refutes this. Uh, <clears throat> Zora and Michael have uh, a conversation. <laughs> Hold on. Zora and Michael have a conversation in the ready room. And basically, Zora is afraid and feeling guilt because of Cortez's death and doesn't know what's going on and feels like the captain may not trust it, them, her anymore. Uh, and Michael's able to talk Zora back from the brink of this and sort of get Zora on the page of like, if they're able to find the signal, will Zora be able to try and lead them out? Culber and Pollard and Stamets have analyzed the signals that pass through book. And this is where I'm guessing things get very, very weird. The hallucinations should disappear in about an hour. The symptoms turn out to be a solution. The particles in Book's brain are particles that are only found on the galactic barrier. That is to say, uh, the the edge of the galaxy in which uh, all of this is taking place. You know, the universe is full of billions and billions of galaxies. We're in the Milky Way galaxy. So the edge of that galaxy, there, I would presume these sort of like... Uh, uh, primordial uh, style uh, particles that do not appear do not uh, appear closer in, and the, that means that the DMA this, these these things would only exist on the outside of the galaxy on the on the very verge. So the DMA very likely came from outside of the galaxy, not just outside of Federation space, not just from a different quadrant of the galaxy, fully outside of the galaxy, some other galaxy, and. Because it's an extra galactic particle, that is a particle from the outside of our galaxy, not existing within, they can use that mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, triangulate mm -hmm. uh, the edge of the DMA, uh, the outside of it, because that's where it would have hit the galactic barrier, right? It's like, it's like it got, it went through like a, you know, a dye wall or something. It's wet on the outside. And the wetness is not water, it's extra galactic particles. Anyway, that will allow them to differentiate between the void and the outside. So, um, they're going to be able to use that to find where they punched in and be able to punch out of this uh, subspace uh, rift that the DMA made as it came in and went out. Anyway, I hope that makes sense. I I watched the episode twice, yeah. and that's when I constructed this uh, understanding of the theory. It's all fiction. That's that's a much better as breakdown. As I texted you last yeah. night, just pretend it's magic. That helps. Don't think of it as science. Then you try to figure it out. <laughs> if it's magic, you're like, oh, okay, the galactic magic from outside. You got to follow that like a breadcrumb. Yeah. I was having a very festive coquito at the time, Ooh. which probably didn't help whoa, my uh, my brain power. Feliz Navidad, Stevie. Feliz Navidad. Um. Okay, so Michael puts the crew on this uh, tracking down these extra galactic particles. There's 10 minutes left on the shields. They discover that the particles will resonate. These extra galactic particles will resonate at 218 kilohertz exactly, which they're able to figure out is the is basically the sonar frequency from Earth. Sonar being uh, the ancient technology where you send a little boop, boop, you know, from all the submarine movies, and it pings back, and you're able to, you know, hear if like a missiles coming at you and hunt for red October or whatever. And uh, 
they think they'll be able to follow this ping out if they keep pinging sort of the edges of the rift. They can use that to triangulate their way out of the rift. And uh, so Michael says that's how they're going to have to do it. But they realize that the ping, the, the amount of time it takes for the sound to go in and go out, the, for sound literally to travel within this void, uh, it's going to take too long. The shields will essentially have failed by the time they get out of the rift. So Michael suggests that everyone on the ship go into the pattern buffers, you know, as if they were transporting somewhere, but just stay there. Everyone except the captain. The captain will stay with Zora. Mm-hmm. Michael addresses the crew. They do that. They go into the pattern buffer in uh, groups. Um, uh, there was an incident earlier where Owo had some some issue with Saru because Saru didn't want Owo to go down and try to reinforce certain barriers on certain decks, but to stay on the bridge. So before Owo and Saru go into the pattern buffer, Owo explains, you know, this the apologizes and explains where that anxiety came from. And Saru basically says, you bore witness. Uh, and that's important to do. And you have nothing to apologize for. And then Saru and Owo and Detmer go into the pattern buffer together. So they're they're going in in groups. It's very sweet because Michael mm. says no one should have to go through this alone. That means, of course, that Book rushes off to find Grudge. Uh, <laughs> and when he's on his ship, he sees his father again. And, uh, you know, his father makes one last ploy to to sort of like, uh, I don't know, just to make Book feel like garbage. And basically says that Book's love is weakness. And it's the same weakness that his father had that prevented him from standing up to the Emerald Chain, which is why he was a hunter. And that he thinks that Michael will choose Starfleet over him and Quajan every time. and uh, But Book says he chooses to believe that this hallucination that he's seeing is real because it gives him the power to believe that the people he loved from Quajan do go on somewhere, uh, even if he's only learning that by having to deal with his uh, emotionally abusive father. Mm. And so he gets Grudge, and he heads up to say goodbye to Michael, and then he and Grudge go into the buffer together. Michael's alone on the bridge in a space suit. It's just Michael and Zora. They turn off life support. They proceed on impulse following the ping. Zora is finding it hard to focus on the ping, is being overwhelmed by internal stuff again, is feeling afraid. Michael tells Zora that emotions can help shape them, can help them keep making decisions. This is like an arc that Michael knows so well because that was like the first two seasons for Michael, basically, is that dealing with emotion versus logic. Um, Um... Michael says she's starting to feel like she's not going to be able to make it. The the plasma's like coming through and melting the bridge. And she's just sitting there in the captain's chair, like hyperventilating and says that she does trust Zora and she's going to need Zora to get the crew out when it's safe. And Zora says, can she sing a song for Michael? And so Zora sings acapella. The first two sections to stormy weather. Now, you know, Star Trek does love its jazz dance. Mm-hmm. Um, the bridge is on fire and Michael passes out. And wakes up in sick bay <laughs> with all of the her loved ones and friends. Was that dramatic enough of a pause? Yes, it was. <laughs> dramatic pause. Very. It had a very um, Wizard of Oz moment. She just wakes up. And you were there. And you were there. You were there. And you were there. In sick bay, everyone got out of the pattern buffer safely, safer, safely, as safe as possible. More than safely, safestly. Uh, Disco is being repaired, I think, maybe in the Archer space dock from uh, the, the the season premiere. Book and Saru are watching it be repaired, and Book basically asks, like, about how Saru, you know, is just like 
Saru admits that Saru also feels a lot of anger when on the planet, you know, on his planet, uh, the Kelpians were hunted by the Ba'ul for generations. His parents died by the Ba'ul. Now he sits across from them on the council of the planet and still feels this rage. Uh, and so he has some uh, ability to empathize with Book's loss of the Quajan people. Um, but he says that, uh, you know, that anger, while justified, it shouldn't be the focus of their energy because it prevents them from doing the good that they could do. Meanwhile, Michael and Zora are uh, talking because Michael's family tree is finished and Zora would like to make its own family tree and does so with the faces of all the crew. And Michael sees it, sees that this relationship with the disco and the computer is different than anything that has come before, but feels that it is good and it's special and thanks Zora for being with them. And Zora thanks the captain for, well, says that they're glad that they're it's there it's glad zora is glad what the captain says this is uh, just the dismount and now this is where i screwed up the captain tells zora that she is glad that zora is with them and zora responds that zora is glad that zora is with the captain and crew they're glad they're together. They're family. They're family. When you hear your family, when you're on Discovery, you're family. And that's what Zora is realizing now that Zora has emotion. And that is the end of episode six of season four of Star Trek Discovery, Stormy Weather. Should we chat about that? Let's. I say, darling, let's do a quick chat about that. Yes. 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 Let's do Let's do. Let's, let's do. do. That's probably that's the best drop in there is the let's do. <laughs> let's do. Let's do. Let's do. Well, what did you want to chat about? I mean, the the scary physics and maths in there was quite something. Yeah, but I. It, you know, it's cre it's creepy, weird stuff. But basically, I think the thrust is that this came from outside of the galaxy, which is cool. Yeah, I had flashbacks to that TNG episode where they got stuck in a void. And there was this weird baby face thing that came up at the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the void was a thing that was lonely and just really wanted to trap people in there. Yes, exactly. This I'm glad that this wasn't like a baby, baby extra dimensional creature that wanted to play or whatever. Yeah. There there was just some really bad effects for that one. And and I mean, even at the time you're like, this is weird and a bit creepy and, and in hindsight, yeah. you're like, oh, this feels uncomfortable. But it, again, we're kind of enjoying another episode that's sort of a contained. Yeah. Yeah. A, a bottle is that what they call it? A bottle. Yeah, and and I think in sitcom terminology they call it a bottle episode. Yes. I mean, that's more like if they're all trapped in like an elevator together. But this is you're all trapped in mm -hmm. a sightless, informationless, dark void together. Uh, I think obviously the big thing for this episode for me is Zora's awakening, and I love that Zora is dealing with the crucible of emotions versus logic because it's such a personal journey that Michael had to go on, especially from season one and two when Michael's like real interesting crutch for dealing with trauma was to become, you know, hyper logical, which led to the whole issue with the, the Vulcan hello and, you know, making, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. deciding that logically she had to mutiny in order to prevent the Klingons, you know, this is coming back to season one. Anyway, yeah, that's like such a perfect thing. And then Michael is so like 
wise in being able to walk Zora through this same sort of complicated mess that mm-hmm. emotions are scary, but avoiding them is not useful. Uh, and so uh, I thought that was cool. I like that Michael and, and Zora have a relationship. Yeah, that's very good insight. I like that, Aki. Oh, they're going to therapy. You. That was very good. <laughs> oh, that was very good. Um, uh, what else have we got? <laughs> uh, Book and his angry ass father. Yes. So that was just a complete hallucination from the outside boy. But I guess it's bringing up all of this stuff that he's conflicted about. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I thought it was interesting. We get to see that Book's father was sort of the opposite of Book, who, when we first meet him, is like a space druid Robin Hood who like steals endangered species from big game hunters and returns them to refuges basically uh but his father was a hunter for the emerald chain who literally hunted down species in order to keep the chain off Kuechan's back and uh and maybe that's part of why their relationship deteriorated as it did also why book loves Kuechan obviously but was living sort of as a weird outskirts kind of like as Mm -hmm. a courier just like not really being home a lot uh, I wonder if we're going to... His father is dead, according mm-hmm. to the story, but I wonder if we're going to get more of that pre... You know, that Emerald Chain, Quajon stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, do you wonder how long that hallucination will be with him, or is it done? Because at the uh, end, he kind of walked past <clears throat> him and he sort of put it to bed, and I wonder if it will come back, or... That's curious. Well, yeah, I guess, now that we know that Quajon need people have, like, uh, dream... Super dream neurons or whatever, and when they're shot through with uh, extra galactic particles that they hallucinate things, it's certainly possible. But it did seem like Culver was saying, like, in an hour, you'll be fine and you'll stop seeing, you know, Mm. your dad. I also loved that books, I feel like in other, not necessarily Star Trek, but in other TV shows where they use this plot device of, like, your deceased father or deceased best buddy or whatever who's telling you that you're doing the wrong thing and is like trying to warp you against the people that you're actually, that are actually like your friends and family, you know, Mm. uh, the barbs that they use are actually very effective against the protagonist. But in this instance, book is like, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I am angry, but you're not convincing me to mutiny against Michael. His dad's like, Oh, you love her. Don't you? And he's like, yeah. Uh, and then his dad's like, well, well, I mean, you just shut up, you know? I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I thought that was cool. And we get to see Gray doing some stuff, finally. Yes, Gray had uh, a nice moment playing chess with Zora. Yeah, Trill Chess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, only Trill can play this chess. Well, it's a game they play in order to help uh, instill mind-body connection. Oh. Which, you know, Zora needs. I would love, to, you know, Gray is training to be a guardian. And so Gray is mm-hmm. now, you know, I, I just love that everyone's sort of stepping up and helping everyone out. And Oh, Stamets yeah. trying to be nice to Book. I thought was so awkward, cute and awkward when Book is like, I'm here to help. And he's like, oh, you could do this. And then he walks away in his normal. And then he like turns around and he's like, oh, and um, thank you for being here. I appreciate your help or whatever. It just seems like you read that in a book the day before. Yeah. (laughs) How to be a good manager. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I like that. 
How to be yeah. a good manager. How to be a good manager. Thank you, Book, for helping me today. Your input was very important to me. Yes. We value everything that you say. Uh, yeah, two seasons ago, he would have been like, what the, I don't need your help. You know, mm. I wrote down that it was directed by Frakes. So I'm, therefore, I'm not surprised that we dealt with a lot mm-hmm. of emotional content, but it felt like it flew by. It did. It didn't feel like the sort of, having said that, there were a few smaller moments. I think when everyone was transporting into the pattern buffer, those for me were the very Frakesy moments. Extremely, but there, there's he does it like so. They're like such tiny moments. He mm. like finds ways to like have it be just how people look at each other yeah. before they go in, or they like take hands together yep. before they go in. He's very good at that. And then I thought it was he's, the way the crew was so excited in the beginning was very Frakesy. Being able to show how like the crew, everyone's like headed to the bridge, like yeah, we're gonna get in there, we're gonna figure out what's going on with this thing, you know. Mm. Uh, really, j- it jazzed me up. Everyone in their in their new suits getting ready to do star trek stuff it was great (laughs) (laughs) yeah should we move on to quotable moments let's move on to quotable moments quotable moments quotable moments quotable moments oh i do love the dowager countess Mm -hmm. um what did you have i've got a few don't i let's go with you okay well, obviously, the Saru quote to book at the end, we are both justified in our anger, allowing it to be our focus, however, only prevents us from achieving those things which serve the greater good. It is a struggle, yes, but a worthy one. Very good. good. I like that. That That's was good. good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Carry on. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh I love at the beginning, this is just because I love cats, but uh, when Book is like feeling like they're not doing enough, he turns to Grudge and he says, we'll figure it out, girl. Uh, I just, I think it's a good sign when Book is talking to Grudge. It means that he's mentally on the upswing uh, mm. because he likes to talk to his cat so much. It's a nice character development or character. Indeed. Thing. I don't want to steal any that you have, but I've got... All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was too busy drinking Coquito um, to write too much down. But one of them, towards the beginning, when uh, Michael says, Stamets, I need more power. And he goes, well, I might have some under my chair. Oh, yeah. Stamets, you. Stamets, stingers. Stamets, you. That stings. Yeah. Beautiful. 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 And also, I loved when Michael is talking to Zora in, in her ready room <laughs> and uh, says, uh, you're talking about logic. I'm talking about feelings. Uh, and is sort of getting this computer to understand that it is beginning to feel and that is a different kind of uh, mental process than pure data mm. and learning how to deal with that. Again, I really love that uh, Michael is able to to be the computer, the sentient AI whisperer. In <laughs> uh, in uh, oh, and I really loved at the very end when when uh, uh, Zora has quickly made its own family tree and it's this beautiful I tree and it just that. shows all the crew and you see all these Tilly and you see Jed and you see Stamets and you see all these people. Uh, and um, Michael says, "quote This is different." but it's good. Uh, it's special. 
which I thought was very sweet. It's very sweet. That relationship. Very cute. Yeah. Very cute. And so that is all I have to say for quotable moments. Indeed. Well, shall we move on to next time? To next time. Next time on Set Phasers. Next time on Set Phasers, we're going to talk about uh, episode seven of season four of Star Trek Discovery. Who's this? I don't know. Is this um, Trip? Are we doing a trip from Enterprise? I don't know. Probably, yeah, a little more nasal than Trip, but something's going on here. Anyway, we're going to be talking about that next time we come down here and do uh, Set Phasers. Uh, we just discovered, alas and alack, uh, thank you, Stevie, for alerting me. That next week's episode will be like a the about a month and a week finale. break. It's a mid season finale. I posit that they thought maybe there was gonna be the whole NFL playoffs and Super Bowl. I, and so they I don't, decided I not don't to do really know what that is. Um, it's some sort just of the biggest thing. game in American TV. But, but, but the fine playoffs I, I understand the the uh, the big game. What do you call that again? The Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I do understand the Super. I enjoy watching the Super Bowl. It's quite fun. Well, there you the go. food's good, uh, and you know the ball gets thrown around and that sort of thing. Uh, it sure it, does. Yes, absolutely. But why is it not happening? Is there some COVID thing? Is that why? Oh well, I just know recently there's been a lot of COVID cancellations for the NFL. It might still happen. I don't know, but they've they've okay pa- can't they paused play, but. My assumption is that Discovery was thinking a lot of TV shows take a break over January into February because sports. the ratings are so sports heavy. Ah, yeah, ah, I see. I for see. that month. And so I think that's what they were thinking, but I don't know what that means. Anyway, after next week's episode, we'll have to figure out what we're going to talk about for about a month. Oh, we could do. We could do some movies. We could do some movies. Yes. Steve and I will put our yeah. heads together and we'll get back to you on that. But at any rate, so next week, where's my voice? Next week, we're going to talk about uh, episode seven of uh, uh, season four, and it's it's gonna be a pretty heavy one. We talk about that DMA. So, uh, if y'all enjoy what you hear, this here program, uh, <laughs> you can check us out. We drop new episodes every Monday wherever you get your podcast from, and we are just so delighted that you're listening to us. Uh, please rate and uh, uh, review us on your Apple Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And maybe we'll try to look up some reviews. Maybe read them on the air. Yes, that would be lovely. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm very impressed at how you committed to that accent. I'm not sure I could commit to a southern accent for a good minute. You did pretty good. You did a little bit of a Tennessee. Oh, Williams thank you so there. much. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. Um, it's more Blanche from Golden Girls. Oh, that works. That works. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Uh, I think that's everything. Uh, Patreon, be a, become a patron. It's fun. And uh, when, when's our next watch party? It must be January. It'll be January, maybe the first Sunday or the second maybe Sunday the in January. Possibly. We'll also figure yes, that out. Yes, we will. Possibly. But please do become a patron so that you can join us for that next watch party. There are lots and lots of And you can watch fun. me dancing right now. Yes, right now, but not on the Patreon watch party because uh, it's virtual and we can all sit in our pajamas and watch together. It's great fun. Well, thank you so much for listening. I am Stevie Manns. Until next time. uh, Wait, I did that backwards. Until next time, I'm Stevie Manns. There we go. And I'm a coward who has no place wearing the IQ Zen. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer, why end that program? Hey! (laughs) Not bad. Thank you so much. Why end that program? Why end that program, computer? Why don't you end that program? You don't live long and prosper now. (laughs)